Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Well, good morning, Vessel Collective Church, and welcome to week three of Church at Home. I pray that you are comfortable and safe and healthy in your homes right now, and thank you for joining us and tuning in. Uh, I am here. You are here live in Gary Gall's living room. If you've never been to Gary's house, this is it. It is only me and Gary today, which I feel like we've taken this progressive, uh, the past four weeks, we've kind of taken these progressive steps down from... We were at the YMCA, we were in the boardroom, they were filming in the boardroom, and then we were here last week with um, some team, a, a small team, less than 10 people that were helping us produce our service, and we've all the way to this weekend, whereas only Gary and I, but we still qualify under what the Lord says, where two or more gathered in his name, he is in our midst, and so we thank you for that, and I pray that you are there uh, with your loved ones as well. I think next week may get worse. It, we'll eventually get to a place where I'm just on an iPhone, like in my bed with my hair all messed up, and we'll be really, it will really be church at home. But thank you for being with us this morning, for joining in. Uh, you know, this has been doing all of this church at home and this recording and this putting it up on social media has been an adventure for sure, and there's been things about it that I've loved and enjoyed and have been very fun. And then there are things about it that I have not enjoyed and been very hard. Uh, but one of the things that I've loved is seeing the engagement from our people online. And so thank you for commenting, for sharing, for letting us know that you're there, for saying good morning, for sharing prayer requests. So I just want to really encourage you this morning to participate and to be active in that, uh, as that has been uh, really one of the highlights of my week, just to be on and to be a part of our Sunday service and to see the engagement of our people, and it makes it feel like home, and it makes us feel like we're still having church despite being gathered um, around the city and scattered around the city. I've, you know, as social media, I've seen lots of churches and what they're doing, and one of the churches calling it Church Scattered, and I love that idea as it's scattered across the city, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. So thank you very much, but I will tell you that this week for me, I don't know if we're in week two or three, and that's how you know this is, a, I think that officially makes it a pandemic when you forget what week it is. Gary has given me the signal of three, that this is week three, but this past Monday of this week, I really hit the wall, and so we had a busy weekend last weekend, and we've been working really hard, and so we just woke up Monday morning, and just in the spirit of authenticity, I was struggling. Um, I was just feeling uh, that the, it was a lot like it is outside right now. It's overcast, and it was rainy on Monday, and I'm an extroverted person, and I love and need to be around people, and as much as I love the four people that I live with, I miss church, and so I really struggled on that Monday, and I really mourned the loss of the gathering that we get to do, and not just in Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, uh, having lunches with people, connecting over coffee, having meetings. I just, I began to mourn that. And so I, I reflected this week on what that looks like and, and, and why that during all this, this feeling of mourning and that there's something that's been lost for us uh, through all this. And, and they may feel like small things. Like I woke up um, and I saw that this weekend was our RAD Easter event, uh, and that should have been this weekend. And our RAD ministry, our special needs ministry, I mourn the loss of not being able to do that. 
not being able to love and serve those families. I mean, selfishly, I love it more than anyone else because I get to be around those kids. But I'm more in the loss of us not being able to have Rad Easter. I know that there are people out there that have students that are seniors in high school and they're mourning the loss of graduation, the end of sports season, uh, no prom, all that sort of stuff. And so I think that that's important that we recognize and acknowledge is that there, that there are things that are lost from us right now and things that have been taken, and it's okay to mourn. And when we mourn, it's not a lack of faith. It's not out of a root or spirit of fear. It's, it's mourning the things that the Lord has given us and how that has changed. And that happens all the time in life, but that's really real right now. And, and undoubtedly, there's been beautiful sides to it. I mentioned last weekend uh, about my art teacher in high school, Miss Wyndham, uh, and about how I was president of the art club. And so she watched the video, and she sent me a message on Facebook. Uh, it was really sweet, and I just love seeing that and thanked her for being such a huge part of my life as a kid. Uh, there's another a friend from high school that I saw just this week. His dad passed away. And so I've been more on social media, and, and I saw Thomas and his dad passing away, and I got to pray for him um, and just send him a message of, of condolences to losing his father that was very young. And so uh, there's been a lot of good things about it as well, but undoubtedly there are things that we are missing. And so what I want us to do, I know that this is going to feel weird, and I mean, this is already weird, right? We're watching me on a screen somewhere uh, and not together. Um, but what I'd like us to do to this morning in the sake of and, and in view of the morning and the things that have lost, where you are in your home right now or wherever you're watching, your office, in your bedroom, wherever it is, I want us to take a moment, and I'm going to open us in prayer, and what I want you to do is I want you to verbalize that which you're mourning, the, the things that you have lost um, and so I'm just going to open this in prayer and just where you are. And if you're there with your family or your kids to just verbally say out loud what that thing is that you're mourning, whether it's um, something significant like a loss of job, whether it's not being able to see a family member, whether it's a birthday. I mean, we had three birthdays. That's another cool thing about Facebook. We had three birthdays this week. Uh, of people that I probably wouldn't have seen if I wasn't so active on social media. So happy birthday to Mike Stewart, to Trevor Ayer, and to Andrew Swinenberg. I'm sure there are many more. But whatever that thing is, I want you to just take a moment to verbalize that. So I'm going to pray, if you would, bow your heads with me, and I'm going to give a moment and, and for you to just speak out what that is that you're mourning. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can still gather God, that you are still in our midst, that you're invading our homes with your spirit right now in this very moment. I thank you that we are never in a place or a location or a circumstance in our life that's too far gone for you, that you are a God that meets with us. God, and you go through everything to be in our presence. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for that promise. Jesus, right now, we speak out to you those things that we are mourning and the things that we're sad over not being able to do because of the circumstances of the coronavirus and the circumstances of us being quarantined into our homes. So right now, Lord, we just speak those things out to you. We just say those things to you right now, Jesus.
Lord, for me, uh, the thing that I mourn at this moment is I mourn gathering and seeing people in the flesh, God, for, for touching people, for being in their physical presence. Lord, I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to gather through technology, through Zoom meetings, um, through social media, through YouTube. God, but I mourn the loss of seeing my brothers and sisters and being together with my family. God, we just give all that to you. I pray for comfort, for healing over those things that are lost. God, we ask you to meet with us at this time. God, as we gather here together and we have church at home, God, we invite you right into the middle of this. I pray, Lord, that you would speak mightily and powerfully through your word and through me. God, would you silence my voice and amplify your own? God, would your word be sharper than any double-edged sword and pierce us down to our heart? God, I pray specifically for those right now that are watching this who do not know you. God, I pray that you call them by name. You give them the courage to respond to that calling. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So we've been, um, we, we've been in this series that we're calling The Last Days, and no, it is not an apocalypse, apocalyptic series uh, predicting the end of times. It is the last few days of Jesus' life. And so we've been kind of slowly working our way through the last few chapters of Luke. And so we started in Luke 18. Last week, we, we taught on Zacchaeus uh, that was in the tree and in Luke 19. And so now we're moving on into the last parts of Luke chapter 19. So if you would open your scripture to Luke chapter 19, you can open on your phone or if you have your Bible uh, with you there. Um, and while you're doing that, I'm going to give you a heads up. And so uh, as, as I'm giving some context to where we're going to be today, we're going to be taking communion at the very end of our time together. So if you would right now go and gather communion elements, it does not have to be technical. I have a loaf of bread that I've brought from home. Uh, and I have uh, juice here, grape juice. I, I know it looks like it's, it is in a wine glass. I know it looks like wine, but it is juice. Uh, but you can use wine if that's what you have. Just anything, any sort of carb would qualify, like if you have crackers or you have a granola bar, whatever it is, because it's not about the thing that we're using for communion, but it's about what we remember. And juice, you can get any juice that you have. You can get Hawaiian punch. I don't know if that's still a thing that people drink, but you can get that. And so while we're, while we're jumping into the Word this morning, if you would gather those items, because we're going to be taking communion together at the very end. So um, as I said, we've been in the last latter parts of uh, Luke, and we're at, at the end of Luke chapter 19 this morning. And so we, a couple weeks ago, we started with Jesus, and he, we talked about him turning away from his earthly ministry. He was, he was on earth. He was doing miracles. He was teaching through parables. Uh, he was along with his disciples, and we talked about him walking away from that and, and shifting away from his earthly ministry and towards his eternal ministry. And it is really this shift in, in Luke chapter 18 of him moving towards the cross. And he begins this journey uh, from Galilee to Jerusalem uh, to give his life on the cross. And Jesus knows exactly what is happening. He tells the disciples exactly step by step, this is what's going to happen to me. 
My life will end on the cross. And as we celebrate Palm Sunday this morning, we look at this final last part of his journey to Jerusalem. It is the end of his long road trip. He's gone from Galilee through Jericho, and now he's coming into Jerusalem. And it's amazing. If you really are interested in fulfilled prophecies, this is a place for you because it's amazing. Like the the prophecies that are being fulfilled are just picking up left and right, and one after another, Jesus are fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies. So you know the story, and uh, the disciples are sent out to get a, a colt, a donkey, and they bring this donkey to Jesus, and that's, you know, from Zechariah chapter 9, it says, this prophecy is fulfilled in this moment. It says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. As he's going into the holy city of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so here is Jesus, and he's, they, they put their coats on this donkey, and Jesus climbs on, and he's riding into daughter Jerusalem as this, this rejoiced king. And as he's riding in, people line the streets. And if you've ever done, uh, you know, any sort of uh, Sunday school growing up, you know the story and why we celebrate with palm leaves. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, into this holy city, people are laying palm trees out as like, like they're laying out a red carpet for a king. Uh, scripture says they're putting their clothes and their coats on the ground to celebrate the king of the Jews coming in. Uh, and, and it literally, they begin to, they begin to sing and cheer, cheer him. And Luke 19 says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And they begin saying that that is literally Psalm 118. It is this Old Testament uh, psalm written by King David about the coming of the king. They're saying, peace on heaven, glory on the highest. Straight from Psalm 118. And we sing that song and say that term, Hosanna, which means God saves. They're crying out to him that he is the God that saves. They call him the son of David, this messianic term. They're identifying him as the Messiah, the coming Christ. Uh, and it fulfills this prophecy in Psalm 118. And the Pharisees are there, and, and it's not all joy as they're mad and they're angry, and they begin to grumble and say, uh, you know, rebuke these who are saying this. Rebuke your, your disciples, those who are calling you this king. And I love this line. Is that Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He says, if they are to be quiet, then the very stones that we walk on will cry out for his glory. Man, that is amazing. That gives me goosebumps. You can go right now to Jerusalem, and you can see this road that Jesus came into, and the same stones are there today that Jesus walked on. And there's lots of stones in Jerusalem, but uh, people will take hammers and chisels, and they'll chisel away the rocks that Jesus talked about that will cry out to his glory. And even that is a prophecy of Habakkuk chapter 2 that says the stones of the wall will cry out. And man, it's just the glory and the deity of Christ is just coming out in this moment. That just one prophecy after another is being fulfilled. And, and we're, we're going to pick up here in verse 41 in Luke chapter 19. And as God's word is becoming manifest, as these Old Testament prophecies are, are, are actually happening, um, Jesus is coming down, uh, and he's coming through down off the Mount of Olives, as we talked about last week, on this donkey, and he's heading, and, he, and I just want to paint this picture of what this looks like. He's coming into uh, off the Mount of Olives, into the Kidron Valley, and it's like he comes over the crest of this hill, and for the first time, 
the king going to the cross, our Savior going to the cross, he comes over this crest of the hill, and he sees Jerusalem below in the valley, in the Kidron Valley. And he gets the first glimpse of Jerusalem. And Luke 19, beginning in verse 41, says this. And I love this, just this scene as he is approaching. Verse 41 says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Verse 45 When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. And what I love about this is I believe that this gives us a glimpse into the heart of Christ. And that's what I think is so rich about Scripture, is it's not just finding out information about Jesus, but the Lord shows us his heart for his people and his love for us. And so we, you know, if you've ever heard the story of Palm Sunday, of Jesus coming in on this donkey, riding on this colt, palm trees, coming into the Kidron Valley, Normally, as a kid, it's this triumphant entry that Jesus is on this cult. They're saying, Hosanna on the highest, son of David. God, rejoice, have mercy upon us. They're singing about his entrance. And normally, Jesus is right on this, this donkey, and he has a smile on his face. That he, he, he's grinning from ear to ear. You can see his teeth if you've ever colored a picture as a kid. But that's just not the case. Is it as this is happening, as he first sees Jerusalem, he begins to weep. And and so I want us to look at this scripture this morning and really get a picture of the Lord's heart for us as he was taking his final steps and ending this journey on the cross, kind of how he saw us. So the first thing I think is important this morning that I want to point out and that I want you to know, not just about this time, um, Palm Sunday, but I want you to know about us even now. And the first thing is this, is that Jesus mourns for us. You know, I started this morning talking about our own mourning over the things that were lost. And we see here the Lord mourning for his people and mourning for this city. In verse 41, it says this, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. He's not weeping. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a cry of fear because he's going to the cross. He's not crying out of fear and anguish about his what's about to happen to him. And, and trust me, he does. At the last few, the, the eve before, he's very burdened by having to go to the cross rest. But that's not why he's weeping here. It's not a, it's not a teary-eyed, emotional thing that he hears this moment. He gets a little, a little, you know, tears in his eyes like you may be watching a Hallmark movie or whatever it might be where emotion hits you. But the word in the Greek, when it says Jesus wept over it, being the city, being Jerusalem, being God's people, is the, the, the Greek word to, literally means to wail or to convulse. 
This is not a little weepy Jesus with a tear rolling down his face. He is brokenhearted over what is happening to the point that he is wailing. He's not trying to hide his emotion. It is a cry that is like snot running down your face, wiping away tears kind of cry. It is the type of cry that my five-year-old Barrett often cries. It is a cry of attention. Not that Jesus was seeking attention, but Barrett definitely is. It is, it is a no-holds-bar wailing out, I am hurt, I am sad, my brother or sister has wronged me in some way, shape, or form. That's the level of tears that Jesus is crying at this point. And he's crying over us. He's crying over his people. And so this is a, this is a cry of brokenheartedness for Christ. This is one of two times in scriptures that he mourns and he, that it says Jesus wept. One is at the death of Lazarus when Jesus is faced with the reality of what death is. Even though he knows that Lazarus is going to be raised to the dead, he weeps over the mourning of Mary and Martha. And he's faced with death and the reality of what destruction the enemy and sin has brought into the world. And then this is the second time that he's brokenhearted over Jerusalem. And so he's brokenhearted over a couple things. <clears throat> Excuse me. First, he's brokenhearted over a loss of peace. Jerusalem, the, the city, the name Jerusalem literally means city of peace. If you know anything about Jerusalem now, then, through history of time, that does not do it justice. Jerusalem is not necessarily a city of peace, but that's where it gets his name, the city of peace. And so um, Jesus is now weeping for God's people who have rejected him as the cornerstone. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9 is a prophecy that we often, um, and yeah, a prophecy that we often read during Christmas time. And it says that a, a child will be given unto us. And that we will call him many things. The last thing it says that we will call him the Prince of Peace. Right? Peace is the presence of Christ, not the absence of chaos. Peace is the presence of Christ, not the absence of chaos. I'm going to get a drink of water. Excuse me. In my Rudy's cup. But peace is the presence of Christ and not the absence of chaos. What the world tells us, how, how we get to a place of peace, is the world tells us to remove all obstacles, to do everything we can to make sure we have a healthy retirement plan, make sure we got a great insurance policies in place, making sure we have a budget and a mortgage that's within our means, and that, that we think that the world tells us that that's going to bring us peace. It's we've removed these obstacles. And it, what it is, is it's man's desire to control. You see, the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of man and what we say is that peace comes through control. If you can control variables, if you can control circumstances, you can control outcome and therefore you will have peace. And right now we are living proof that that is a lie, is that we are quarantined in our home and it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, the amount of money that's in your bank account, the level of education the amount of reputation that you have, there is no peace in this. The world does not offer peace. Peace is not removing chaos for life, but it's, it's bringing the presence of Christ. And Jesus is brokenhearted and weeping over their loss of peace. The scripture literally says this. It says, he wept over it. In verse 42, he said, even you had known this day would bring you peace, but now is hidden for your eyes that Jesus is brokenhearted 
over their loss of peace. And I want you to know that the Lord weeps and mourns for the loss of peace that's in your life. If you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with fear, if you, if you have chaos in your life, the Lord doesn't delight in that. The Lord doesn't shake his head and point a finger at you and say, shame, shame, shame. The Lord is mourning and brokenhearted over the fact that you have chaos and anxiety and fear in your life. And he wants to bring freedom from that. The presence of Christ gives us peace, not the absence of chaos. The second thing that he mourns over is the loss of opportunities. <clears throat> Many times as you read through Jesus' ministry, especially in the Gospel of John, it says that Jesus' time, his time had not yet come. Even at uh, his very first, when he started his ministry, the first miracle of turning water to wine, um, and his mother came to him and, and asked him to perform this miracle, Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And again and again, we hear that. We, we, the crowds come, and Jesus retreats off by himself or to the disciples. And Scripture tells us because his time had not yet come. But this moment... Luke chapter 19 marks the time it has come. And, and, and the people had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and they missed it. But the time is here now. And Jesus had somewhat of a quiet ministry, but now as he's coming in, riding, this, riding on the donkey, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people are, are crying out that, that he is the Messiah. He's not quieting them. He's not telling them, don't tell them who did this to you. He is writing in to fulfill this prophecy that the, the time had come. And scripture says, but now it is hidden from your eyes that they had chances and they missed it. And I'm not one, I believe in the process of seeking. If you, were, if you were in the process of seeking right now and working through your own salvation and, and investigating Christ, I believe at the end of that road ends in Jesus. I believe that the end of that road ends in Jesus, that those who seek shall find and the truth and the truth shall, sh shall, shall set them free. So I believe in the process of seeking. But I want you to know that every one of us, there will come a time where it's our last opportunity. It's the last time that we're going to have a chance to say yes to Jesus. It's the last time we're going to have an opportunity to give him our life. So I don't want to create panic, and I don't believe in salvation through fear or anything like that. But I want you to know that at some point, if the Lord is calling your name, that there will be a last time. And I, don't want, I want to urge you to not have a loss of opportunity. <clears throat> The third thing that he mourns over is the destruction that's coming. The destruction that's coming. Listen to these words that he says uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> he says this. First he says, your enemies will build an embankment against you. Right? Your enemies are going to set up a, a fortress to be able to attack you. They will encircle and hem you in on every side. That every side is going to close in around you. That they will dash you to the ground. Where it's like the, the, even the children that, that are within your walls. Finally, it says they will not leave one stone on another. Complete and total destruction and annihilation. No doubt Jesus is talking about Rome and what's going to happen in the figurative, and I mean in the, in the literal. But he's also talking figuratively about our enemy. I want you to know that the enemy wants complete and total destruction of your life. 
that, that your children, your kids, he is not some red leotard wearing, pitchfork carrying, torchies, tacos, emblem, devil. He is complete and utter evil. And he wants total destruction in your life. And Jesus knows that that's what's coming. He knows he's mourning over the destruction that's going to fall on their doorsteps because they missed opportunity, because they didn't receive the Prince of Peace into their heart. And so Jesus, first and foremost, he mourns for us. The second thing that we can learn from this moment of him riding in on Palm Sunday is not only does he mourn for us, Jesus wants us to know. Not only does Jesus mourn for us, but Jesus wants us to know. Verse 42 says this, And I said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes. You know, I think that sometimes we struggle with, we, we think that Jesus is this mystery or this code to be cracked that we've got to figure out the right formula or code. This is this great thing that's veiled in mystery. And we treat church and relationship with Christ as some sort of hierarchical insider's club, that there's some sort of level that the more you know, the more educated you are, the closer you are to Jesus, that we think that, that, that we've got to crack this code of mystery. But I want you to know that the truth is, is that there are mysteries in the gospel. No doubt there are mysteries in the gospel, things that we will never in our human minds be able to wrap our minds around. There are mysteries in the gospel, but the gospel itself is not a mystery. The gospel is simple, and Jesus wants us to know his gospel and the truth about who he is. He wants us to know him in an uncomplicated way. He sees people like Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus who don't have it all together, who are, uh, one is a blind beggar on the side of the road that we talked about two weeks ago. Zacchaeus is someone that's hated by society and culture and his community, and he's a crooked tax collector. And Jesus sees them, and he wants them to know who he is. You see, religion, and when we bring religion and rules into it, we complicate things. And why do we complicate things? For control. What I mentioned earlier, it's man's desire to control circumstances and variables and outcome that causes us to put so much religion around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to look this certain way and feel this certain way. Uh, and we have this idea of what salvation looks like and what people have to do. And a lot of times what we do is we put hurdles and stepping stones in front of people. They've got to get their life right. They've got to use the right words. They've got to use the right language. They've got to pray the right prayer in the right sort of way. They've got to have a pastor that's obviously more spiritual than them in some way, shape, or form, be able to pray that prayer with them and say, okay, you've got salvation. But I want you to know right now in your home, there is no aisle to walk down that there's no place for you to come right now. You can't walk through this, this screen or this camera and walk here right now for me to pray over you and walk you through the sinner's prayer. The gospel is simple, and it is available to you in your home or in your office or in your bedroom, wherever you are now, as much as it is in the greatest and most elaborate cathedral there is that you could be at on a Sunday morning. The gospel is simple. I accepted Christ when I was 14 years old, the summer before going into my freshman year in high school, and I knew nothing. I knew nothing about who Jesus was. I knew nothing what a, about what a relationship with him really meant. But I, I, 
I sat down beneath the tree on, on a Texas summer night all by myself, and I prayed a prayer of salvation, and Jesus came into my heart. The Prince of Peace came into my life, and at that moment, I found salvation in Jesus Christ. It wasn't at a church. It wasn't because um, some pastor prayed this right prayer. I wasn't, it wasn't out of fear. It was, I was, it was out of a desire to know Christ. The Lord was calling me by name. He was knocking on the, on the door of my heart, and I opened it. So I want you to know that Jesus wants you to know him in a real, authentic, genuine way. And there's no quarantine. There's no social distancing that can keep Christ from you. If you are Zacchaeus, if you are Bartimaeus, if you are watching this from a prison cell on the, on the, the steps of death row, that that cannot keep Christ from you. Jesus wants us to know him. So not only does he mourn for us, not only does he want us to know him, lastly, what we can see here is that Jesus fights for us. The third thing we can see here in this scripture is that Jesus fights for us. Verse 45, as he comes into the city, he goes to the temple courts. In verse 45, when Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So I don't know if you've seen the movie Braveheart. And if you haven't, I mean, I'm not even a big movie buff. And it is one of my favorites. It's a great movie. So there's this scene in Braveheart, uh, and, and it's this climactic scene, and they're in this battle, and it's really where, where they begin to fight for their freedom. And William Wallace gives this great speech. He says, Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace. And this guy says, William Wallace is seven feet tall. He says, Yes, I've heard. He can kill men's by the dozens with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from other places. And he gives this great and impressive speech to these people. And then he rides over and he goes back to his friends, these disciples, these people that have been with him the entire journey. And they say, great speech. Now what? And he begins the ride off and they say, where are you going? And he says, William Wallace says, I'm going to pick a fight. Man, I love that. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He's wiped away his tears. He's done with the crying. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's going into the temple courts, and he's going to pick a fight. And I don't mean that in, a, in, in a, a broken sense. It's interesting that this is the same way that Jesus started his ministry. In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, it records that Jesus began his ministry doing the same thing, cleansing the temple courts. And then here he is. At his triumphant return, the king of kings is riding in on a donkey. And he goes into a temple courts, and he throws over, over the tables, and he drives out the money changer, and he is picking a fight. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And so I want you to consider this, where you are. If Jesus came and walked into our temples today, our temple courts today, what would he see? And I don't mean the YMCA on Sunday morning for us at the vessel. I don't mean wherever you go to church. I don't mean if he came into your church building on Sunday morning, what would he see? But Scripture tells us that the presence of God does not, it, the, the presence of God no longer lives within the walls of a church building, but within the walls of our heart. This is literally where we get our name, Vessel Collective Church. The word vessel comes from this very idea and principle from 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says this, Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood 
and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanse himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So I ask you the question, if the, if the Lord is going to walk into the temple of your heart right now, what does he see? Does he see a vessel that's of honorable use or does he see a vessel that's of dishonorable use? And what are the tables that are within our, within our lives and within the walls and the hearts of our church that the Lord needs to come in and turn over? And are we willing to let him do that? Are we willing to let him come into our house and turn over, into our hearts and turn over table? Because what Jesus saw in Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus were vessels of honorable use. They might not have been pretty on the outside. They might not have had it all together. They could have been cracked or broken. But what was inside was a heart that was willing to receive Christ and to allow him to come in. And what he saw in the rich young ruler was a beautiful vessel that looked big and it looked appropriate. And there were, it was on the outside, it was unblemished. But when he looked inside... He saw a vessel of dishonorable use. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's going inside the temple courts of God's house where his presence is. And he's driving out corruption. He's driving out sin. He's driving out brokenness. So that the presence of God and only the presence of God can be in that place. And I think for us, the struggle and the temptation is that we want the money changers in our hearts, along with the presence of the Lord. And that does not work. But I want you to know that Jesus fights for us. That If you are willing to open your heart and open the door to him, he will come in and he will drive those things out of us. He is willing to fight for us as he does here in this story. And you see, one of the key things to understand is that the corruption in the temple, literally in the story, the corruption in the temple, it didn't happen overnight but it happened over time. You see, originally these money-changing tables that are in the temple court served a very important function for the church and within the church uh, that, that people on, on Passover and times, people come from all over the region, all over the area to gather in the temple courts where the presence of the Lord was, right, to come into his presence. And they would come from all over, and what they would bring with them was foreign currency, they would bring foreign currency with them. And so the, the money-changing table was to serve those people. They set those up so they could exchange their currency, their foreign currency, so that they could bring their tithes and their alms and their offerings to the Lord so that they could purchase the sacrificial elements that, that what were sold there. And so even something that at one time served a purpose, that over time, for man's desire for control and manipulation, that it became this corrupt thing where they were robbing people, where they were taking advantage of poor people. And that's the same thing that happens in our hearts, that, we, that, that there are often things that are, that are well-meaning and that aren't sin or broken or, or, or bad even. But over time, our desire for control and our focus on those things begins to overtake, and that's how corruption seeps in. So as we close out this morning, um, I want to encourage you right now where you are in your living room to think about those things. I want you to know first and foremost that Jesus mourns 
for us. He said, if you, are, if you don't know the Lord, is that, that he is brokenhearted over that, that the separation of him and you breaks his heart to the point of weeping, and not weeping teary-eyed, full-on weeping, that he loves you that much, and he wants you to know him. He wants you to know him intimately. He wants you to know him in a real and significant and authentic way. Not know information about him, but he wants you to know who he is. And finally, I want you to know, church, that Jesus is willing to fight for us. That He's willing to go to war for us. He's willing to fight all the way to putting his life on the line and laying his life down for the sheep. So as we close this morning on Palm Sunday, uh, I ask you to gather communion elements. And so if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to take a moment to run through your house in your pajamas and go grab whatever it is, whatever type of carb or bread that you have, cracker, anything will do, and, and whatever uh, dark color liquid uh, would, would suffice. And again, it's not about what the elements are. It's about what they represent. We're going to take communion together. And I know this may feel foreign, but hey, like I said at the beginning, Everything we are doing right now feels awkward and different. So um, I'm going to give you a little second to get those together, and, and then we're gonna lead, I'm going to lead you through communion. So as Jesus gathered with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion, he took bread, and he broke his bread, and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so... Uh, I'm going to begin us in prayer, and then uh, we're going to go through that. Dear Lord, I thank you for the remembrance of communion, Lord. I thank you that right now in our homes that we can, uh, we can do this, God, and remember who you are and what you did for us. I thank you that you invite us to do this in remembrance of you, Lord. I thank you that we have this bread, and I pray a blessing over that, Lord, in our homes right now. I thank you that it is a symbol and a reminder that your body, that your word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, I thank you that your body was given and broken for us. God, that you lived a sinless, perfect life. Yet you went to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Your body was broken for us, Lord. So take this now in remembrance of that. then he took the cup, the blood of the new covenant. And he said, remember my blood that was poured out for you. When you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we thank you right now, Lord, that your blood was poured out on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, as we walk into Holy Week this week, God, I pray that every one of us takes an honest, hard, real look at our lives and our relationship with you. God, that we look upon you and the cross with reverence this week. That we take time each and every day 
to remember what you did. God, to reflect on the weight of our own sin. God, to be blown away by the fact that while we were still sinners, you first loved us. That your word became flesh and dwelt among us. That you lived a sinless life and you were the perfect sacrifice. You gave your life, that your body was broken, your blood was poured out for the forgiveness, the sins of the world. We thank you, Jesus, that that is freely given and never earned and never lost. God, I pray for the vessel. Lord, I love this church. and I mourn the loss of being together. God, I pray that we are people of encouragement this week, that we reach out to one another, love one another. God, that we're reminded of the gift that your bride is and that we are so thankful to be a part of. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.